it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is Harriet Tice. She was born in Edinburgh and is an Oxford graduate and former criminal barrister. Two of her previous novels, Blood Orange and Lies You Told, were on Sunday Times bestseller lists. It Ends at Midnight, published by Source Books, has recently been released to critical acclaim. Welcome, Harriet. Thank you for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about It Ends at Midnight? Well, It Ends at Midnight um, starts at the end um, with two bodies that are impaled on railings outside a house in Edinburgh. Um, they're bleeding out onto the pavement and it's clear that they have fallen from the roof um, after a party basically that has gone horribly, horribly wrong. Um, and so the question really that there's there's two questions that, that sort of drive the whole narrative, which is who are they and why are they dead? Um, so that's the that's the, the the most shall we say present day narrative to mm -hmm. assess. they're first discovered by a fox and then you have different um, people arriving on the investigation scene. Um, you know, there's the fireman who has to get them off the railings, and there's the police, and there's various different witnesses. Um, but then the story goes back. Um, it goes back to two more timelines. There's the three months that's the build up to this party, this New Year's Eve party. Um, and then there's a timeline back in 1989, 1990. Um, and essentially both of those timelines are exploring a friendship between two women called Sylvie and Tess. Um, mm -hmm met at high school in the late 80s and have stayed friends through the decades until um, until the run up to this fatal moment. Um, and as is the thing about friendships that last for decades, um, it's not all a bed of roses. Um, right. It has its tensions, it's got its, they're not frenemies, they are proper friends, but, you know, there's lurking, there's lurking secrets, lies, resentments, um, history, you know, it's, it's like all family, there's history and mm -hmm. things that are lurking there in the past, which might just, you know, come out and bite them in their present. Um, mm -hmm. And really the events for the present day, the catalyst that kicks everything off, is that Tess um, has received a diagnosis of something very serious wrong with her. Um, and that is prompting her to start investigating their past and things that they might have done um, in a way that quite honestly, Sylvie probably would rather that she didn't. Um, and really from there, chaos ensues. And I don't think I want to say any more than that because it's, um, in terms of the plot, because I don't want right. to give any spoilers. Um, the, the party um, is set in Edinburgh, um, as is the 1989-1990 storyline when they're teenagers, they're discovering mm. underage drinking, they're discovering boys, they're discovering smoking, you know, the kind of life that, because we don't have a drinking age of 21, we have a ah. drinking age 
of 18 and okay. also there were a lot of sellers of alcohol who did not care even if you went in in your school uniform they would sell you bottles of food <laughs> um I'm sure it's not actually no it's exactly the same now I've got teenagers I know perfectly well that things <laughs> still go on um but um there's quite a lot of um there's quite a lot of teenage kicks shall we say um and that those storyline actually the, the the good stuff I think what I've said in my acknowledgements is that the good stuff is all kind of based on experiences I was having at the time because you know I was 16 17 in 1989 1990 and it was brilliant six four <laughs> we were having a blast we were really having a blast um the bad stuff fortunately did not happen the bad stuff is 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 figments of my imagination and you know and and, and some things that might have happened but spun very very dark indeed um right. but that's the Edinburgh setting and I mean that was so much fun to write because I wrote that during lockdown and it, okay. during that time you know when we were all stuck in the places that we were you know the thing I'm sure that everybody felt was that there are many other places we wanted to be that we wanted to explore that we wanted to revisit and so I couldn't go back to Edinburgh couldn't see my parents but mm -hmm. what I could do at least was walk through my memories and put them on the page and so that was you know that was a really cathartic um it was brilliant fun actually for all that it's a very dark book um right and the more present day storyline of the book that's set in london um which meant you know basically no research for me actually no research for me anyway because you know i'm very lazy and it's all in places <laughs> i know it's all in places i know very well but i hope that that kind of brings them more to life on the page that's you know that's my excuse for this and and i'm going to stick to it um but um <laughs> That's that's also that sort of set round London lawland. I mean, I think as you said in your introduction to me that I was a criminal barrister before. You know, essentially, right. it's, it's kind of like being a defence attorney, but it's it's mm -hmm. you're, you're defending. I never did it at a very high level. It was all sort of you know people with drug addictions who went shoplifting. Um, but, but they needed uh, representation, so you, you and were there for them. Yeah, very, very important too. Um, but um, I did that job for ten years, and so some of that experience also comes out that my characters, or well, the main character Sylvia, I mentioned, she right. is a barrister who works sometimes as a part-time judge in well, we call them youth courts, but you know, it's a juvenile courts um, mm -hmm. and she's presiding over a trial a youth court trial because she's wanting to be promoted to become a more senior judge and how this trial goes is going to be really important for her and so there's I hope some tension that comes through from that as to how it's playing out so it's it's right. it, there's quite a lot going on it's it's got it's got sort of various different strands um, as books go and it was um I really enjoyed writing it actually it was funny because it's my third book and the first one right was, the first one blood orange did it did really well in the UK actually I was really lucky it did very well indeed mm -hmm. um and as a result of that there was quite a lot of pressure I felt when it came to writing the second one and that was you know it, it and it was also the first time I'd written under contract it was the first time I sort of had I knew there would be readers you know right it, it, not like sort of writing something for your MA group and you know 15 right. people 
Max will read it. This when there's a sort of, you know that there are people and there are also people who've, you know, sharpened their keypads and they're all ready to start giving it one stars on Amazon, that kind oh, of, yeah. you know. Um, so that second book was a lot more complicated. But when I came to writing this, it was actually just, it was fun for all this right. horrible and some really nasty stuff happens. It was actually, it was a lot of fun to write. I can imagine so, because I was going to ask you, how is this book different from the first two that you did? Do you prefer to write standalones or do you envision yourself becoming eventually maybe a series writer? I think that if I were ever to become a series writer, it would. I'd like to do something in the way that Tana French does it, in that she, I don't know if you've ever read any of hers, and if you haven't, you should, because they're magnificent, mm -hmm. but they're Dublin set, and it's the, it's sort of set around the Dublin murder squad, um, but what she does is each of the books focuses on a different character and brings their story to the forefront so that you're looking at a series that's a world as opposed to a repeat character you know so to say the end ranking books you see rebus each time um or you know reacher in the lead child books that, that right. you come back to him i mean to be fair reacher doesn't necessarily demonstrate a huge amount of character growth but um you know that 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 that's in in other detective series where you're looking at the arc of that character. I think I like the what I like about the aspect of standalone is that it's it's a challenge coming up with a different idea each time, certainly, and yep. coming up with something that's sort of new and different, but not too different because people like you know a level of there's a level of expectation. Um, and I I worry that if I were to do a series, I'd get bored with always coming back to the same people. And I think there's a challenge. You may have a cast already made, but how do you make it new and exciting? And how do you develop them? And I, I mean, I guess both of them is difficult, but I mean, in short, no, I'm not going to do a, I won't do a repeat character series. I don't think. That's good. Yeah. Um, but it would be nice to do a world maybe at some point. Right, exactly. Yeah, like the Ed McBain books, they're all, a lot of them are told as Precinct 87 books. Um, they're all told in the same universe, but they're usually different characters every time. So that cool, might be something cool. for you to look yeah. forward to. Yeah, no, that'd uh, be good. What, in, in writing the first two books that you wrote, and they were both successful, high, highly acclaimed and bestsellers, what did you learn from both of those experiences that helped you in writing uh, It Ends at Midnight? I'm not sure because every time I come to start a new book it feels as if I've forgotten everything mm -hmm. that I already knew. I always find myself googling how to write a novel and then going back <laughs> you know reading the craft books reading things like Save the Cat and the John York into the woods and just sort of reminding myself I mean I think the confidence that comes from it is the knowledge that I have managed to finish a narrative I've managed to get to the end and that even if the first draft has been messy 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 through mm -hmm. the process of editing I've been able to put it together into a story that people have enjoyed and you know not everyone but you can't please everyone oh you and can't no. try and, and if you try you know you're actually going to fail because it's just going to be bland um but you know, if you have some people who say, I'm really, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was great. That was a fantastic twist. Um, then 
there is a confidence in thinking, well, if I've done it before, I can do it again. Um, right. You know, I try not to look on it as some sort of scarcity that, oh, my God, I've now run out. I've got nothing else to say, because I don't think that's a very constructive way of looking at things that I think I right. do try and have the attitude that I'm always it's going to be all right, even if it doesn't feel it. You know, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, putting right. one, you know, you put a word down and then another word and it's going to add up. And so I think that's what I've learned that. I can do it, even if it's hard. Right. It's a difficult process that a lot of people who don't write don't really understand because, you know, I've done it 30 times and I, I still marvel at the process because you, you have to spend an, an inordinate amount of time in your mind. But as that, that's to do what you're, you're trying to do, which is write a book. But then you have to find a way to get out of your own head so you don't doubt yourself so much that you don't complete it. So the very thing you have to do almost prevents you from doing what you need to do which is weird isn't it it's awful it's just awful and there are times in the middle of it I do sit and think this is the hardest thing in the world and then I smack myself hard in the face <laughs> because I know I know how many more much harder jobs there are but it is painful and it's physically you do end up just drained in that process right. when you're trying to when you're wrestling with things and it feels like you're going backwards. I've just had to do a really hard structural edit on my fourth book, which, you know, by the end of it, my eyelids were twitching and it was just, so, I mean, it's obviously not the hardest job in the world because you sit in bed and you make shit up, but equally, right, right. equally it's not the easiest thing either. You know, it's, it's, it, it can be quite difficult. Um, it can be, yeah, because it's it's a, it's all mental and it's a little physical, like sitting there and typing, which also leads to sore hands and and bad eyesight and everything else. But it it is it does not come without its cost, both physically and emotionally, does it? The creative process. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd agree. Yeah, yeah. There's always something that uh, that needs to be done, and you're working already on your fourth novel. Can you tell us anything a little bit about that, when it's going to be out, what the um, general idea of it is? At the moment, well, it's going to be published in the UK in spring of next year. Um, okay. Not yet, but we haven't, we're not, US home where sort of is a work in progress. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the book itself, I still have another semi-big round of edits though not nearly as bad as it I'm now getting to work on a document I'm not having to take the document rip it up move right. it around now it's like this is a track changes job which I'm really excited about um, <laughs> it, put it this way that the um the working title though obviously this is not I'm not allowed to call it this but the working title has been blood orange is the new black um because it starts in a women's prison um but excellent okay it's it's it it doesn't spend very long in a women's prison because I have not been in prison and I felt that I didn't <laughs> want to try and um I didn't want to try and make it I mean I know obviously our job is to make things up but it, it right. as I said I said at the beginning I'm really lazy when it comes to research and trying to spin out 90,000 words just off watching documentaries about prison I felt was a little bit beyond me um so it can be yeah you know, it's and 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 
you do want them to have some authenticity. It does need to feel real. And I wasn't sure I could pull that off without descending into huge cliche, which there's a lot of prison, you know, prison schlock out there. And I was trying to dodge that too. So um, it's a bit different. It's my first, the three books so far have all been first person present tense this is mm-hmm. third person present tense and there are three different points of view so you know whoa, really really different but it is a bit different it is a change and um it's been an interesting journey and we'll have to see what happens next with it but I am enjoying it as well so that's a positive I don't hate it I think it's right. got it's got some good bits a friend of mine says it's really good does that count um, it does yes it does <laughs> <laughs> does because great we need friend. all the encouragement we can we get really because do. we really do it's a yeah. legal business out there otherwise right yeah like you said earlier there's always somebody who has their pen sharpened and, and ready to cleave into our work which look if they bought it they're entitled to it if you've written it it's 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 definitely it's up for debate but you know do you, what's the most creative uh and useful bit of criticism you've received on your book not the hateful one star review but was there one that made you say oh you know what they've got a point there there's been a consistent there's been a consistent theme which is that I write unlikable characters Mm. Um, now I don't necessarily agree with that because I think that they're well you know what is likable what does that mean I mean they're they're female characters who don't conform to yeah, they don't conform to a very kind of traditional aspect of, you know, they drink too much, they have careers, they're ambitious, they're mm-hmm. maybe a little bit like men, you know, which is, which is, you know, perhaps not women are allowed to be, but that's, it's useful when you see that, because it has made me think about what does likeable mean, and it's right. also made me think about what does likeable matter, Um you know, because it's one of the, you know, as a sort of as a personal thing, sort of having turned 50, I get to a point of like, you know what, actually, as I said, you can't please everybody. If you're right. trying to please the people who say that's not likable, if you're trying to win them over, it's, it's, that's not necessarily going to lead to good work because you're actually just sort of pandering to. Right. So in a way, I think what's been helpful about those is that I have disengaged and I've gone, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do here and I'm going to write the people I find interesting Um, because if they were to I mean in my first book she goes out she gets hammered and then she has sex with someone in a totally unsuitable way and Mm -hmm. everyone's like oh how can she do that she's a mother she's a mother and the one thing you want to say is because if she did go home after one glass of wine there wouldn't be a book you know there wouldn't be a story um and so I think that almost by ignoring or 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 reacting quite strongly against that criticism it has led to perhaps slightly more biting kind of work I mean I don't know if that's exactly the right answer but that's no it does make sense because uh, you know I could see a lot of parallels and I, I have absolutely no idea if you were influenced by this but on Netflix, there's a series called The Fall with Gillian uh, uh, Anderson from X-Files. And she plays oh, yeah. a character who's very much like the Helen Mirren character in Prime 
uh, I think it was prime suspect. suspect yes, yeah, yeah. Year, decades ago, where mm-hmm. she also acts like a, a traditional male character, and people rebelled against that. But you know, yeah, maybe a character like that isn't isn't um, necessarily the nicest one in the world, and maybe they're not likable. But you know what? They're relatable because we all know people like that. We know people who've done that. So what's more important, likability or relatability to the reader? And for me, I agree with you. I believe relatability is definitely the stronger virtue. Yeah, I think that people feeling real, people feeling authentic, and we're all flawed. You know, that that every one of us has it within us to behave extremely badly. Um, And it can be quite good reading about someone on the page because then you can think well at least I'm not as bad as her (laughs) you know right I've written some characters where they said you know what I don't like this character but I could certainly relate to them and I definitely want to know more about them and what happens to them so that in and of itself is its own reward isn't it yeah totally no no absolutely agreed it definitely is now how can people since you've got a lot going on that's going to be coming out soon what's the best way people can follow you um, I am on Twitter and on Instagram as at Harriet underscore Tice. Um, and I have a author page on Facebook, which is author Harriet Tice. And mm-hmm. I have a website, which is Harriet Tice author, author Harriet Tice, or maybe just HarrietTice.com. I think <laughs> HarrietTice.com gets there. Um, there are, I have a useful name because there aren't really very many of us so if you if you were interested enough to google Harriet Tice it would be me that you'd get as opposed to anybody else um that's right and it's t-y-c-e t-y-c-e yes that's right so um I am um yeah sadly a bit too active on Twitter and I try and yeah well it's losing its appeal at the moment it's the, the, the it's sort of not feeling as if it's working as well but I do like it and it's a nice way to engage with people so yeah for all of its troubles people are still going on there and and yeah. uh, tweeting so it's uh, it's definitely something we that'll be around for a while well Harriet yeah. thank you so much for for joining us today I really appreciate it and I know my audience appreciates it too thank you very much indeed for having me I've really enjoyed this thank you nope Of course, of course. This has been another edition of Authors on the Air Radio Project, uh, Terrence McCauley uh, for uh, Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. We'll see you again, everybody, next time. And uh, please visit bestthrillerbooks.com for reviews of all the best thrillers out there. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.